I'm Charlie Keegan. I'm Paul Vaught. I'm Barry Worthington, and this is the Progress with Unity podcast. off that ground absolutely buzzing and we hadn't scored a goal <laughs> four games three clean sheets undefeated Sean Maloney yeah you can, you can see everything that he said in that initial interview starting to come together we've, fortunately we've not had any hiccups yet it's starting to come together because you could see yesterday you could see us playing decent football at times and he did say you know that's not going to be the first thing we do the first thing we're going to do is tighten up in both boxes but there was good football like you say you came off buzzing I mean, I mean my one line summary would be that we escaped from Carroll Road earlier on in the season with a point, and they absolutely escaped with a point yesterday. I'll tell you what, we played on the front foot. After 10 minutes, we could have been three goals up. Yeah, I was yeah. speaking to a Norwich fan before the game, and he was talking about how, yes, they're a good side, but since everything kind of went south with Dean Smith and they went on that bad run, he really noticed that if teams were going and pressing Norwich, they would just panic and they'd just start making mistakes, and that's when they started to get these draws and the losses that they didn't really think was the Norwich style of play, and that's when they've switched to David Wagner, but there's still similarities where he said that Hull kind of sat off them and allowed them to to play, and then they went and beat them 3-1. But you get a team like Burnley who was pressing them, and that's when they lost 3-0, and they just didn't look a very good side. So he said Wigan's best chance of doing anything was to go on the front foot, and I think we did that very, very well. I don't know how we weren't 3 or 4 up at half-time. I said 3-1 before the game, and I was slightly joking, trying to be a bit optimistic, but... Could well have been easily 3-1 to, to Wigan. Within those first 10 minutes, Will Keane had two chances. Callum Lang had two chances. And James McLean shot when possibly he should have squared the ball because with two men on the far post and marked. If we take those, we're going in 5-0 up at half-time. You take the, the optimism of having created those and take that into the next number of games. Is there any serious Latics fan who does not now believe that we're going to get out of the relegation zone and be in the championship next season. I'll tell you what, we play like that from now to the end of the season, we'll comfortably stop up. Yeah, and absolutely. I just think this, he's, he's brought, Maloney brought in a belief, in, in not just in the players, but in the supporters as well. And it just shows what, you know, that can fester in, in, into all this positivity. The stats yesterday, nil apiece, obviously no goals. I'm very surprised at this one. With only 35% possession, which I thought we had a lot more than that, if I'm being honest. But out of that 35% possession, we, we crafted 11 attempts to their nine. We had six on target. I mean, these are vast improvements from, from what it were like. Uh, we restricted them to just one effort on target. Three corners to Norwich's five. We committed 10 fouls to their 14. Picked up two yellows, Corker and Dariqua. They picked up two yellows and an attendance of 11,603. So those stats, I mean, did it feel like we was you know without the ball for that sort of time yesterday? It didn't to me. No, it didn't. I think some of that is is the point that when they tried coming going anywhere with it, they, they were getting closed down. Another thing that we did was we pressed in as a unit rather than pressed as individuals. Sean Maloney talked about the first half, said he thought we were brilliant, and for me, he's possibly the, the best half of football that we've played this season. I said exactly that as well. For me, I think we're getting to see the best of potentially Ashley Fletcher at the moment. He's got a very clear role of trying to drag out defenders in all sorts of positions, trying to just use his physicality to to a bit more of a presence up top. And I think he's doing it very well. He might not touch the ball all that much, but he's he's playing his role, I think, very, very well. It is working for our front line that 
coming into the game, it was a bit void of ideas. We've now got the ideas. We just need to actually finish them off. Team selection. We played 3-4-1-2, or did we play 4-4-2? Or was it just a fluid formation? I think it's more fluid. I think we set up to defend as a 3-4-1-2 or a 3-4-2-1, that kind of variation. And as we start to attack, then we go a bit wider. So we do a 4-4-2 to try and make it so we've got more players in more positions. So, yeah, it, it is fluid. It's not as as rigid as we probably used to see, but that, I think, is working very well, especially when we're playing Niambi as a left centre-back who can then, he's not a traditional left-back, but he can go into that role and, and take the ball forward a bit. We're allowing Dariqwa then to run up, and if Dariqwa runs up, then Niambi slots in as a centre-back. So, yeah, I think it's fluid, and I think it's, it is working very well for us. Yeah, I was surprised Pierce didn't make a, a show yesterday, you know, I thought he might have started, if I'm being honest, you know, to give us that balance. In the first half, Jack Watmore got injured and he had to go off and Stephen Corker came on, who I thought did superbly well. Is that perhaps why Pierce didn't come on? Because he used up a substitution at that point. Two or three massive challenges from Corker to stop breaks and to stop one-on-one attacks. Yeah. I think he stopped Adam Ida a couple of times and he was he was quick. Corker did really well. I think when you're called into action sort of half an hour in, you've not maybe not done your full warm-up that, that you, you would usually do if you're about to come on as a as a forced substitution. I thought he did really well and it gives another good option that if Omar Akik isn't quite fit to come back yet, we know Kerr and Kelly are out. Pierce can maybe play less centre-back, but Cork is now showing that he obviously can. It, it just gives more options, I think, which we which we definitely need. I've got written down here, chances. Keen 2, Lang 2, McLean shot and Asgard effort. We should have scored at least well, at least one of those, possibly two yesterday. For me, the, the, the Keno's effort when it were through on, on the keeper, probably the worst of the lot for missing wise, I th- he could have gone round the keeper or tried to slot it to his left hand side instead of straight at him. Uh, am I wrong to be critical there, or do you, do you think? Uh... I, th- I think you've got to say the keeper did it reasonably well at that point. But I think you're right that we should have scored something with the number of chances that we created. The players will between and be kicking themselves. One of Keno's efforts came off a lang shot, which the goalkeeper parried. And if you if you look at the replay as he's going to hit it. His leg, he's standing legless from under him, so he slipped at the wrong time. Langy had a, a, a good effort, which the, the keeper tips over the bar as well. He hits it into the ground, if you remember. We've already mentioned that that chance of McLean's where he's shot and probably been better scoring it. But the Asgard effort as well in the second half, I think that was the uh, effort of Asgard's was, was set up perfectly for him. It's the type of ball that it, uh, he usually puts into the back of the net, isn't it, from, from like 20 yards out. For me, he came on a little bit late in the game to where I thought he could really much better but he also seems to be sitting too defensive and he's going on going off onto the right and he's really covering quite quite low which i don't think is his best position but it just shows that when he is in the the right position what he can do like we saw earlier in the season where he scored that beauty against luton town to win the game we've seen it plenty of times since where he can just get a goal out of nothing for me i don't understand why he's not getting more of a chance in the right position because i think when we are struggling to score and we're having a lot of chances like that. Just put him on. Try and get him just to see if he can do something. We saw it even last year against, was it Blackburn in the FA Cup where we were struggling to score and he just creates a goal out of nothing. Ground duels and aerial duels. I don't think he won one of them against Bristol when he was on the field. But then he comes on yesterday and he wins. He's only ground duel and then he wins three of his aerial duels. So he is getting a little bit better defensively and doing what kind of Sean Maloney probably is asking him to do. But for me, I just think to play him as high up the field as you can. Maybe not as a, as a striker, like a sole figure, but... Somebody who can play in that sort of keen role or a lang role. I think that's where he is a lot better. Don't start bringing him back to defend. Performance is just there. Uh, I've got loads of names written down here because it's so difficult to pick out a star man. Use Teehee, Lange, 
James McLean, Niambi I thought was quite good. Fletcher run his socks off and Max Power. He was absolutely superb yesterday, Max, again. I think from my point of view, saying earlier on in the season where he was pointing to places where people should be, he was getting a lot of stick for pointing. Now people are going to those places and picking up the great balls that he's playing. Yeah, I never understood that argument against him pointing. Like, what do you want him to do? Strap his hands to his side and run around the field? Like, he's going to have to start telling people where he's going around. And he's won three league titles with us. He knows how we kind of play and what where he needs people to be. He knows what it takes to win. So we just weren't helping him and weren't doing it. But now that people are getting in the positions, like you say, where he is pointing, everybody's going, oh, he's great. Well, he's been trying that all season. It's just not fully worked out. And there's only so long you can hold the ball when people aren't getting in position if you're going to get challenged. And I think he was just running out of time earlier in the season on the ball and it made the performances look bad, but it wasn't all him. I'd say he's possibly our fittest player as well, isn't he? You know, uh, the amount of work he puts in game after game after game. But something I noticed looking at a photograph of him that uh, the Latics put out from, I think it was from the Bristol City game, his face, there's not a, a smidgen of fat on that face. He's just so lean. He's a beast. He's an absolute beast. And as he starts the game, he finishes it exactly the same. He's just full on power. He's max power. That's what he is. I'm not sure if he signed on a two or a three year contract, but if it was a two year, I'm hoping that he's going to be around next season as well because our squad is better with him in it than without him. The bench yesterday, Jonesy, whose birthday it was, uh, Tom Pierce, we've mentioned, Tom Naylor, and Curtis Tilt back on the bench yesterday, back in the fall. So it was, it was good to see Curtis Tilt after a little bit of stuff going on, a uh, bit of nonsense going on during the week. Man of the match, voted for by our listeners on both Facebook and Twitter. Callum Lang, absolutely super. Well done, Lange. Max Power was runner-up, and Charlie Hughes was in third place. And talking of yous, I think what I'd like us to do is just spend a little bit of time talking about our new wonder kid. With Hughes's emergence at centre-back, you can understand comparisons are being made with previous youngsters who were broken through at, at the Latics in that particular position. Centre-half is normally a mature position, isn't it, where you, you get players starting at right-back or left-back and then moving into the centre. Historically, we have uh, form for blooding young centre-backs. Not all have been great successes, but there's been some notable players nonetheless. I'm just going to mention a few here who have come through. We go back way back to early 80s. Steve Walsh, who was a, a great centre-half, Preston lad, made his debut at 17. Peter Addison, Wigan lad. Now, he, he was one of those who started at full-back and he left as he went on to, to, to great things. Paul Beasley was another. We brought him in from Marine, actually. I think he was about 19 when he made his debut. Alan Johnson and John Robertson give you everything in the lower league. And Obe and Long, them breaking in the team might have been actually detrimental to their development because they were thrown in at a time. It was in administration. They'd no experience centre-half helping them along. They were just thrown in at the deep end. Out of all those that I've mentioned, the two that I think are suitable for comparison to Charlie is Steve Walsh and Peter Atherton. Because I think it's quality-wise, they're about the same as where he's at now when they first started. Charlie Hughes, he was former under-18s captain. We signed him at under-15 level. He made his first-team debut at 18. So far this season, he's got 10 appearances, seven of which have come in the championship. His passing is 71% accuracy. Steve Walsh? Um, he made his debut as a 17-year-old. 
126 games for the Latics, four goals, won the Freight Rover Trophy in 85 before moving to Leicester City for 100 grand, and he made over 400 appearances for Leicester, winning the man of the match in the 1987 League Cup final. Red card record holder in the Football <laughs> League with 13. There's a, there's a bit of two sides there, but yeah, he's obviously got on to have a very good career with Leicester, hasn't he? Yeah, he he was yeah. almost a, a, a one club man after he left us, but late in his career, I think he, yeah. he, he moved on. Another thing with Walsh, yeah, he uh, he got banned for eleven games after he he uh, brought the jaw of a Shrewsbury Town player. Bit of an odd case. What about Peter Atherton? Well, Peter Atherton made his debut at the age of eighteen back in nineteen eighty eight, and he started off as a right back. 149 appearances for Wigan Athletic before moving to Coventry, where he had 114 appearances. Sheffield Wednesday with 216 and Bradford with 94. Both Atherton and Walsh, really successful top flight centre-halves. A big surprise with both of them. Neither of them got a call-up. Atherton, I think, had one under-21 count, but neither of them got a senior call-up to the England squad. And I'm going to predict this here and now. I think that's something that's going to change with Charlie Hughes. I really believe that this lad's good enough to go all the way to the very, very top. I think he, he's, he'll break in at some point. Maybe not whilst he's with us. He might go on to bigger and better things. Peter Allerton came back to the club and working uh, with the academy team. He's now assistant manager over at Bull. Found it very difficult to say that word. But over at Orich, he's assistant manager over at Orich with uh, Ian Evan. I'm not going to say that, no. But he's working over there. I can't believe he's done that, can you, really? Where's he working? The Tough Sheet Stadium, we're going to love that, yeah. <laughs> but he got promotion to the Premier League with Bradford when Bradford went up, so he, he won promotion. Though. Sheffield Wednesday skipper as well, absolute Rolls-Royce of a player. And, and when you look at Charlie Hughes and you you know, you know look back on, I, I think, more Peter Allerton than Steve Waltz, because Steve Waltz, we mentioned about his red cards, and he was a bit of a... He could, he could dish it out. But Atherton was was a silky Rolls-Royce type of centre-back. And I think we've got something here in Charlie. I know Charlie personally. Do you think I'm too biased? Or do you think, you know, this potential that I'm talking about, he could actually fulfil? Yeah, I'd agree with you to, to an extent. I mean, for me, the thing is, he's come in as a kid and he looks like he's been there years. You know, he's not looked out of place. He's not looked out of his depth. And it's always about where it goes going forward. Because there's so many that, that sort of have a decent start and then disappear. You know, his dad's a former professional who knows the ropes and knows what's happening, so he's going to have good guidance. In terms of a, a non-Latics player who you would throw in, well, wasn't a kid, but actually was put on the right track again as he was a, still a young bloke, was um, Harry Maguire when he was at Latics. I mean, yeah. he only did half a season, but again, it's that silky Rolls-Royce player that just at the back that just looks... As good or if not better than than those around him. I'll just tell you something about Harry Maguire when he was with us. He was two years older than Charlie Hughes. Well, I say he wasn't a kid. He, he played hundred and some games, and he for um, Sheffield United as well mm. before he went to Hull. Well, he was, yeah, he played hundred and eighty games before he came to us. He was struggling to get in the Hulls team, and he was put out on loan, and he was brilliant with us. I think what impresses me most is that if you look at when he first came in this season, we got beat four one by Middlesbrough. Then he played again, got four beat four one by Sunderland. <laughs> Then we had the 1-1 one, one with Cardiff, then the 2-0 no with Luton. And if you're going to be a young player who's kind of coming up through the ranks and that's your first four games where you're really playing this season, for me, that should take a knock to you. But what impressed me most about him is this mentality that he's got. And he's obviously been working on this with Gregor Rioch through the academy and and knowing that right your time is going to come at some point, you just need to get ready for it. Bit of a rough start, but then 
two clean sheets in the last three. He's been so comfortable on the ball, so confident. And I think you are right that he is going to probably go all the way to the top. And when you look at players who, I'm going to talk about English players, but when you look at English players who come through and they're really, really young, but they get given a chance, you can either see them crumble a little bit or you can just see them look so comfortable already. You've seen it with Trent Alexander-Arnold at right back, came through Liverpool. You've seen it with Harvey Elliott. He came through Fulham, I think it was, and then had a really good breakout year in the championship with Blackburn. Marcus Rashford came in in the Europa League against um, whoever it was. I think Mitchelland for Manchester United and has had an unreal career since. And obviously, yes, that's different positions to what Charlie Hughes is playing, but it takes a certain level of character and a mentality to do it. And there's no, I think he's going to be destined for Premier League, hopefully with us, and definitely destined for England at some point. And one player you missed out that little list there, Charlie, Reese James, of course. Reese James as well. First big season in senior football, wasn't it, when he came to us and was player of the season. Unbelievable. He's one of the, probably one of the best players I've ever seen at the DW Live. Something with, with Charlie as well, he's, he's had a bad injury which kept him out for almost a year. He's He's got over that. You know, it's a really young age as well. He's got over that. Just appreciating why, why we've got him. I think one thing that, well, I'm sure it's in the offing that, you know, get him on, on, a, on a good contract as he comes out of his apprenticeship and make sure he's with us for, you know, two or three years. And if he does move on, we get, you know, what we That's deserve it. for him. Yeah. yeah. I do think it's important as well not to pin too much pressure and hope on him. I think that when we've got Watmore's back, obviously fit and, fit and ready, Omar Akik is back. And I know he's quite young, but he's also a little bit more experienced than Hughes is. And I think, like you said before, with sort of OB and Long, when they've started to come through and a lot of pressure has been put on them for the for the time period and it can hold them back a little bit, it's, Charlie's going to be fine, but you know I don't want him to burn himself out playing every single game in this huge relegation fight. And then the end of the season, he's just knackered and and a bit a little bit stressed. So I think he will be fine, but we just can't pin too much hope on him. Before we finish today, I'd like us to do, uh, just have a look at the relegation dogfight down at the bottom. I've highlighted nine sides that I think are still in it, taking a look at the next seven games for all these sides. So we're looking from Reading down to us at the bottom. So Reading is 16th. They're 10 points ahead of us at the moment. All the sides in the bottom nine have played 32 games. Barkari, if you played 33, so they're a game ahead of everyone else. The team with the best form at the moment, ourselves. So looking ahead, the fixtures are there in front of you. Does any stand out to you as a really tough run over the next... Now, these fixtures are looking at from now until the international break and then the first game back. Do any of these fixtures look, you know, what these clubs have got, does any of them stand out as being, God, I'm glad it's not us who's facing them games. Charlie's nodding. Which which one are you going for? I'm just glad I'm not a QPR fan. I think that the, the, trajectory, the trajectory that they're on, Neil Critchley doesn't seem to be the most inform manager at the moment, fans are sort of getting on him. And then you've got to go and play Blackburn, Rotherham, Watford, Blackpool, West Brom, and then us. Like that's a really, really tough, tough set of fixtures there. For me, the one that jumps out is us, but in the sense of if we pick up pot I mean, anybody that's got Burnley's got in there has got to kind of write that off, haven't they? Or because I'll take it as a free hit. But if we pick up our own points, we don't worry about anybody else. I think when you're looking at nine points difference, it's three games, you could you could completely rejig that bottom nine in, in, in that many games. It's one of them for me, where you, you just look at yourselves. Well, I'm looking at Stoke City. Now, Stoke City, the run they've got is Swansea away, Millwall at home, Sunderland away, Blackburn at home, Borough, Norwich and Coventry away. 
And in that, they have a Tuesday night FA Cup fifth round tie against Brighton and the six points ahead of us. I just think that is an horrendous run. And I've been talking to a Stoke fan who says he doesn't know where the next points are coming from. That's how they've been playing. So they are definitely one club that's going to get dragged into this. I agree with Charlie as well about QPR. I think they are. And I agree with Paul. Just keep your eye on, on us. I do think as well, watch Huddersfield. Because if they don't get a point from their last what seven games or whatever, or these next seven games, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Because they've got Burnley about to storm the league. Coventry have got 15 clean sheets, I think, this season, which is the most. Bristol City, Nigel Pearson has them really well drilled. West Brom, they're playing pretty well. Norwich are going to have to start picking up their form under Wagner. Millwall, very, very dif- difficult place to play. And then Middlesbrough, who are making a gun for the for second place. So if Huddersfield don't pick up any points, I won't be too surprised. I was, I was, I'm hoping that both Blackpool and Huddersfield don't pick up many points over the coming weeks. And then we can forget about them. And then... You know, obviously, we're chasing teams. Uh, Rotherham, we've got Sunderland, Swansea, QPR, Birmingham, Preston, Cardiff, and all. Cardiff have got Norwich, Bristol City, Preston, West Brom, Rotherham, Swansea. They're all tough games, aren't they? They're all tough games, which, whichever way you look at it. I think one thing that that picture paints is we've got every chance of getting out of it. We just, like Paul says, concentrate on what we're doing. Fans rallies concentrating on us, the meet and greets. Uh, we held a, a little one yesterday against uh, Norwich. There was a, probably about 50 people down. Uh, this is a plea. Birmingham City at home, it's a massive game. Can we have some some absolute idiots coming down, please? Please, just come down and make a lot of noise. Some real idiots. Bring a drum. Get drunk before you come. Let's let's make it buzzing. So Birmingham City at home. It's it's the Wigan Beer Festival as well. Get in there and get a couple of real ale pints. Get yourself in the mood. Get outside of that ground for, for one o'clock and welcome them players. Let's make them feel like the ears are standing up on the back of their neck. So we're going to have a big push for this. And it's not going to be autograph hunters. It's not going to be kind of selfie people. It's going to be idiots. And I'm classing us in there as these as well. And I know Charlie's be landing in the UK that day he'll be tired, he'll be drunk and he'll be there with his bugle playing a tune so let's get down there and let's give it what for uh, right, so I, I'm absolutely buzzing the way we're going at the moment we'll, we'll be back on Wednesday with uh, a look at the Preston North End game and we've got a Preston fan joining us for that, so until then it's up the ticks, come on up the ticks yeah.